Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. You're listening to the original radio show and podcast about food and wine, broadcast from Paris, France. Paris Good Food and Wine, we delve into the topics of food, wine, and all their related subjects, talking with an array of people whose expertise both pepper and help ferment the food and wine scene in Paris, France, and the world at large. We're glad you can join us here for the delicious stories we bring you on Paris, good food, and wine. Please leave your comments, reviews, and suggestions. You can also contact us at our Twitter, at Paris Food Wine, or on our website, parisfoodandwine.net, or on my Instagram page, P-A-I-G-E, Food Wine. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and wherever you download your podcasts. For this episode of Local Good Food and Wine, episode 59, we speak to two of our wine colleagues, both in California. The first is Cyril Penn of WineBusiness.com, whom we reached in the Napa Sonoma area of Northern California. As many people are aware, this year of 2020 has seen even more devastating fires in the region. Cyril gives us his first-hand account as a local Napa resident and also as someone who's in touch on a daily basis with the people who grow the grapes, tend the vineyards, and make the wines in these prestige California counties of Napa and Sonoma. Just a couple of stats. Bloomberg reports that an estimated 80% of Napa Cab may be lost to fire and smoke this year. And from Napa County, the glass fire, which started September 27th outside Deer Park, has burned 66,840 acres in Napa and Sonoma counties, an increase of 1,260 acres from 24 hours earlier. This was reported on October 6th. An estimated 40,000 acres are in Napa County, where some 7,000 county residents remain under mandatory evacuation orders. Now, since that was reported, that has changed, that has changed somewhat. Cal Fire reported having 2,791 firefighters working the fire with support from 409 fire engines, 48 water tenders, 20 helicopters, and 48 dozers with continued support from air tankers. The cause of the glass fire remains under investigation. You can see our show notes uh, at localfood.wine, localfoodandwine.wordpress.com, there, where you'll find an interactive map link that designates the areas that were salvaged and the areas that were destroyed. Next, we turn to the trending topic of don't pink my drink. In fact, that's a hashtag, hashtag 
don't pink my drink, and how the so-called feminization of wine and spirits consumption is impacting how we women wine writers communicate and are ostensibly perceived. Namely, we speak with Laura Donadoni from the ItalianWineGirl.com website. She's an Italian who transplanted herself to Southern California in pursuit of her passion to learn more and communicate about wine. She talks to us about her blog post, What's Not Okay, which deals with how the established wine industry reacts to her as a female wine judge. She also talks to us about the enduring popularity of Prosecco in the U.S. and also about Baja Mexico wine trips. So once again, be sure to refer to our show notes at localfood.com, which is also at localfoodandwine.wordpress.com, as well as Cherie Devin. That's Cherie Devin.wordpress.com. Cherie as in ma chérie. To take a look at some of our other featured content, such as Guess Who is the latest celebrity to make their own champagne? Hints, the name of the new champagne is Fleur de Miraval. For all you rosé fans, you should instantly know who I'm talking about. And for all those courageous souls planning a 2021 wedding, we have a couple of food and wine themed wedding dress photos which are highly amusing. You won't want to miss those. So thanks again, everyone, for joining us on another episode of our Season 7 podcast of Local Good Food and Wine. We thank our sponsors, Local Food and Wine, and also IOT Logistics and Shipping LLC. Again, check our show notes for more details on all of this. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our latest episode of Local Good Food and Wine. Season 7 of Local Good Food and Wine is generously being brought to you by IOT Shipping. IOT, the Internet of Things. IOT Shipping tracks your value assets using the Internet of Things technology that gives you data points based on temperature, movement, and geolocation. For more information, contact us at IOT Shipping. Dot XYZ. That's IOT shipping. Dot XYZ. Now you can find Paris Good Food and Wine on iHeartRadio as well as on Spotify. And also, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Okay. All right. So I've got Cyril Penn here, and he's the editor of the wine business based in California, in fact, based in the Napa, Sonoma County areas. And he's going to give me a bird's eye view of what's going on. Goodness, um, I think all eyes have been on 
your area um, the last couple of weeks, and our hearts are are with you, though I'm sure we cannot even begin to fathom the stress and the devastation you guys are experiencing. Well, what's what's the state of affairs? How how are people feeling? Well, it's been it's been very difficult because we had obviously COVID uh, related stuff going on this year, and uh, wineries were opening up to uh, having people at their tasting rooms uh, at least for outside, and there's plenty of outdoor space here. Uh, and then we had uh, a series of fires. The first fire started in uh, the uh, August 17th. Uh, there was a lightning storm, and I woke up about three or four o'clock in the morning and the sky was lit up white and this lightning struck so it was dry lightning uh, started a couple hundred fires across California and a series of fires that all uh, kind of uh, merged into one uh, in the Napa Sonoma area that was huge and no sooner did we get that out and that under control but about three weeks later uh, we had another uh, series of fires in, in Napa and Sonoma, uh, the glass fire it was called. So at this point, that fire has been, you know, it's under control, it's pretty much out, um, it's, it's totally contained, and uh, the air is looking good again. But we had three or four weeks of, uh, of uh, smoky air, uh, unlike uh, anything I've uh, ever experienced. So, um, yeah, it's been a little bit, it's been a tough one, for sure. Lost out. Oh boy, there were about 15 wineries that were damaged or burned down, you know, that had severe damage to their, you know, to actual structures on their properties. And, and, and in a couple cases, the actual wineries burned. Um, and we're just sort of assessing things now. God, what heartbreak. I mean, just hearing about it, you know, and, and of course we've all been paying attention to the news and, and watching the, the reports and the, the pictures that have come across on, on social media. Um, the earlier fires of, that you just mentioned, of course, you know, garnered a lot of attention. I think this glass fire incident is what really pivoted people's eyeballs to, to what was going on. And, and when I, when I read some of the, the statistics, I, I think probably a lot of these are actually being gleaned from your, your website, winebusiness.com, your news site. It's like, as of October 6th, 66,840 acres in Napa and Sonoma counties burned. Um, 40,000 acres in Napa County, where some 7,000 county residents were under mandatory evacuation at that time. Um, I mean, it's just like 2,791 fighters working the fire. I mean, goodness, what has been your day-to-day, I mean, like, you know, what, like, what has been your day-to-day regime in terms, I'm not regime, but schedule in terms of trying to just, uh, you know, deal, you know? Right, right. Well, um, I've mostly been focused on uh, trying to determine what the level of uh, smoke uh, exposure has been for grapes. And we published a story yesterday uh, about the um, ramifications of the smoke uh, for the wine industry across the West Coast. Because the fires weren't just in Napa and Sonoma. I mean, uh, those were certainly very high profile and they were huge, but um, there have been the fire season across the West Coast of the United States has been uh, quite something this year. So the vintage in California, you know, may be affected um, really throughout California. And also Oregon, for the first time, is dealing with uh, possibly having smoke taint in the Willamette Valley. 
How could you? And Washington is, uh, well, our harvests are pretty much wrapped up. We're in the very final stages. They're essentially done in, in uh, California and, and Oregon. But Washington State is uh, maybe halfway through their harvest. They're still, they're still quite busy bringing grapes. Um, and the thing about it is it's hard to know with uh, smoke exposure what the uh, effect is going to be on the grapes and the, the wine that it's made into. Uh, it has to do with the chemistry of, of how that all works. Uh, sometimes you don't notice the smoky characters until months later. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. That that is a very interesting, um, you know, aspect to, to all of this. And since you just did the article yesterday, yeah, what I mean, how how can wineries, you know, how can winemakers deal with this this whole thing of smoke taint? I mean, one thing that one article that I did come across, uh, I I can't remember which site it was on, but uh, just a, a couple days ago, was that maybe um, Northern California may not be making any Cabernet Sauvignon this this year. Uh, is that well, it isn't, it isn't quite that severe. Um, the one thing that pretty much everyone will say, and it's, it's pretty much true, is uh, not a lot of this, not very little, if any, probably no bad wine in terms of smoke-painted wine is going to make it directly through to consumers because no wine company wants to risk their brand by doing that. So I don't think this is a consumer problem at all. It's an industry problem. And we don't know yet on, in terms of uh, how much uh, of the harvest is affected by smoke. Um, that's still to be determined. But in Napa, uh, the, the series of fires, and you know, there being the one fire that lingered for so long, and then the second fire kind of being the knockout punch, there have been a lot of press reports on that with, uh, in certain cases, you know, people saying, you know, I, I think it's easily 50% of the harvest of Cabernet in Napa uh, may may be um, declassified and and, and uh, wind up not making it out to market, but uh, that 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 remains to be seen. Uh, some people believe it's higher than that. Wow, that's so uh, sad. Of, in terms of what in terms of what to do about it, um, uh, the Australians have a lot more experience with this than we do, unfortunately for them. But uh, we did have fires in 2017 and 2018, and there is a there is growing awareness of it. And there's there's a, a group called the Smoke Paint uh, Task Force that was put together uh, with stakeholders in Oregon, Washington, and California that's gotten some a uh, couple million dollars of research money. And there there are things that we do know about what you can do about it. Uh, that we're, nothing is nothing's a silver bullet yet. Uh, there are things you can do that help, uh, but nothing, nothing will get you all the way. Everything's a compromise. There's things like ultrafiltration, and there's something called spinning cone technology, and, and also in terms of the way you make the wine, uh, people will, uh, not keep the grapes on the skins as long. You know, they won't be making so many reds. You'll see a lot of cheap rosé come out of the 220 harvest, put it that way. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. You know, here in France, some of the winemakers had to pivot this last year to actually, you know, converting their 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 wineries, their wine cellars into making um, hand sanitizer. You know, like producing the alcohol for for hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. and that was just something that um, I think they felt they had to do out of patriotism, I suppose, mm-hmm. and um, and also just the the reality of not being able to perhaps 
sell their entire production, you know, in the in, in the market. Yeah, it just seems like you know. I mean, I mean, the whole industry has just been, you know, suffering, and then have have this stuff on on top of it. Can Can you talk a little bit since you're a local? I did hear I did come across a lot of stuff, especially on social media about the about Meadowood, you know the yeah the famous resort and then the three star Michelin right. uh, yeah restaurant there yeah. burning yeah. down. What's what's going on with that? Well, not all of the property burned down. It's a large property, and uh, but the 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 convention facilities, the meeting rooms, and all of that uh, did burn down, as did the restaurant um, <clears throat> and some other buildings on the property. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking for people in Napa Valley because Meadowood is kind of a hub of activity for so many things. Um, I personally was there in, in February for a, a wine writer symposium. It was just fantastic. I just people have uh, a lot of – there's a lot attached to, to Meadowood. There's, there's a lot of legacy. It's obviously where the, um, where the Napa Vintners hold the annual Napa Wine Auction. I they they pledged to rebuild and, and rebuild it better and, and I know that uh, Bill Harlan the owner has you know a lot of uh, you know I, I I know that he'll be able to do it when he says I'm going to rebuild and make it even better I believe him so uh, they will they'll be back put it that way. Well, that's a lot of resilience. It's very very admirable. Cheryl, are you have, are you a longtime resident? I mean, have you been there for a long a long time? I've been uh, in Sonoma Valley for about 15 years. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a that's a long time. So you're you're quite invested. You know, some of the comments I come I've come across when reading about what you know the fallout from all of this is um, people sort of starting to question. Well, because you you just said you know we'll we'll rebuild and we'll rebuild it better. Mm-hmm. What about the people who feel like oh my goodness wait a minute you know we did this in 17 we did this in 18 how can we I mean who like if you're if you're a small you know family owned winery I mean how deep can you dig into your pockets to keep getting going you know I mean I mean I, I can't imagine insur- I mean I don't know if insurance covers any of this I mean goodness it's just it seems right. so right well, um, <clears throat> wineries are pretty resilient, that's for sure. Uh, uh, you know, I know I know individuals that have lost their houses and, and had to evacuate a second time, and they're scratching their heads, wondering, "Hey, what am I doing?" And I know there are people, you know, thinking about um, leaving wine country, but at the same time, there's there's more people that want to come here, partially COVID-induced. The real estate market up uh, in Sonoma County is actually way up, uh, in contrast to a lot of other markets. Huh. Oddly. Or ironically, I should say. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful. Well, I mean, it is it is a beautiful area. Well, um, okay, so we touched on on the smoke paint, and what are some of the measures that people are looking towards? Uh, I mean, it they they seem like sort of natural, you know, like acts of nature. I guess. I mean, that lightning that you were just describing a moment ago. I mean, there's nothing that can. Foretell that you can't predict it. I mean, you, you know how. What are some? Are there any? Is there any discussion of like you know how going forward? How can we try to mitigate any of this? Well, I think that discussion is going to happen. I don't. You know, it may be happening, and I just don't know about it. But I think that's a discussion that people will be having. And of course, that's such a broad discussion that has to do with you know global warming and and you know forest management and. 
Um, it has to do with housing, and you know, there's layer upon layer of issue. It's, there's a lot of complexity to it. But there, but you're right. There really does need to be a discussion uh, about about that, and hopefully there will be. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So, what? How do you see your your job rolling out over the next, you know, several months? I mean, you're. You, you just mentioned you're you're already at the end of harvest, so you and so the the grapes are in you know right. already in the vats, that kind mm-hmm. of a thing. But what? How is this going to impact your job? I mean, I, I'm I would imagine you're probably constantly running around to tastings and you know talking to people as they're you know making their wines and stuff. But so how is this right. going to affect your yeah your daily yeah well, we're doing what we always do which is we're trying to provide good information to people um that that's helpful so we're trying to help uh and so what kind of information can we get people well the crop insurance deadline is coming up right away we'll have a story next week about that uh, reminding people uh i spent yesterday uh looking at a what's kind of an experimental treatment for smoke painted grapes but very early, but might be promising. It has to do with using ozone in refrigerator containers uh, to treat the grapes before you vinify them, and that seems to be very, very helpful. So we'll want to get the word out about that. Um, things like that where we can be helpful. This is an industry where people are open and they all want to help each other, so there's a lot of discussion going on between wineries about what they're doing, what they're going through, and how they can help each other. So that's really where my focus is going to be. Yeah, I see. So there is a pulling together of community then. One of the great things about the wine industry and one one of the things that makes it so different than covering other industries, I've, I've uh, as a business reporter, you know, covered, you name it, uh, and wine is very different, different universe. And, and yeah, you know, no, yeah, you're, yeah. In it together. No, you're right about that. We see that here um, in recent years as well. I'm sure you're very well aware of it with the um, the frosts that have, and, and then in some years the mildew, like the like some of the mildew that attacked Bordeaux, and then the frosts that seem to keep attacking, um, you know, uh, Burgundy, Bourgogne, and uh, yeah, you see people really pulling together. Yeah, which is which, which is nice, but it doesn't it doesn't make the pain go away. No. Yeah. All right. Well, any any final thoughts? Um, what, is there anything we can? Is there anything that the 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 wider global wine community can do as, in support or for help or? Well, I think there are, there are going to be a lot of uh, fundraisers going on, and there's I think there's a lot people can can do uh, to help. Um, and if you go to our webpage, you'll see we have a, a fire resources uh, side uh, that, that you can go to, and you can uh, find out about how to help. Okay. All right. So winebusiness.com. Yeah. All right. Right on. Okay. Well, um, I want to thank you very much, Cyril, for jumping on the phone with me today and um, for the podcast, Local Good Food and Wine. And we will keep following your reports as well at winebusiness.com. Thanks for your interest. I appreciate it. Good talking to you today. All right. You too. Have a good day. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye. So long. Find this and more episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and also on iTunes. Season 7 of Local Good Food and Wine is generously being brought to you by IOT Shipping. 
IoT, the Internet of Things. IoT shipping tracks your value assets using the Internet of Things technology that gives you data points based on temperature, movement, and geolocation. For more information, contact us at iotshipping.xyz. That's iotshipping.xyz. Well, it's it's so great to be doing this call with you, Laura. You know, in fact, I was just listening to your podcast, which is beautiful. Unfortunately, I don't speak any Italian. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's the only thing I do in Italian. All, all my blog, my social media channel are in English, but that one is for my Italian followers, which are one-third of my community. So I had to do something for them. So. It's no, it's beautiful. It's very unique. I think that's a really smart choice because I there aren't very many like you know media things where people are doing things in both English and their native language. You know, especially Italian. So it's just it's actually just really it's so melodious to hear you speak your language. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, you live in France, so you you hear a pretty. Music, music show, no, melodial language too. It's true. It's true. I do, I do love French. It's a, it is a beautiful language. Sometimes I'll listen to the news in French just to, just to hear them speaking French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love French. I studied that at the, at the high school, but uh, huh? it's like 20 years. I don't speak a word of French, but I can understand. It's pretty similar to Italian and Portuguese and Spanish, so. We have some vocabulary and, and words in common because of the Latin origin of the of the language. Oh, great, great. Well, I mean, I know we were we're going to talk um, here for for my podcast, Local Good Food and Wine. Um, I, I've actually kind of rebranded it this season for the last six seasons. It was Paris Good Food and Wine. But with how things have changed, I've just decided to do season seven as local good food and wine. So I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to me. Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Well, and actually, it was your recent article on your theitalianwinegirl.com website and blog, which is an awesome blog. It's really wonderful what you do there. And, and you have that great article. Uh, it's pretty recent, Laura, that you wrote about about women in wine, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, 10 days ago, I believe. Yeah, it's kind of a, uh, you know, confession about how I feel, uh, how I feel after seven years in the wine industry in the U.S. and, um, like, witnessing and experiencing some not-so-pleasant episodes as a woman in the wine business about sexism and like disparity in, in many situations from the everyday little episodes to bigger, uh, let's say, problems that I, I, I tell in the article about abuse and, you know, harassment. And I think that we women, we don't talk enough about this and we tend to hide things, also little things, because we consider them normal, you know, because you're a woman, it's normal that men uh, look at you in a certain way, uh, make a compliment, make a very, you know, audacious compliment, maybe to a sexist compliment, and you accept 
is because the thing well, it's normal. It's normal. Uh, it, it has always been like this in every field, in every industry. So you accept it, but it's not normal. We we need to start from ourselves, women, to think differently. Uh, I know it's difficult because we grew up in a culture that, uh, you know, it's uh, sexist from from the beginning. So it's difficult even for us women to recognize when you are harassed or when you are abused uh, psychologically. But we have to try and change the dynamic of this culture. Otherwise, uh, we can complain uh, endless, uh, in an endlessly about the, the problems, but nothing is going to change. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I'm so, you know, I really applaud your courage to to come out and and write an article about that. And I know some of the um, some of the good aggregator press they picked up on it. You know, it, it didn't it didn't go ignored. Um, they picked up on it, and they, you know, they. That's how I came across it. Is um, one of the big wine industry press aggregators. It it featured it. And also, too, I want to say straight off the bat that, I mean, you know, you're you're not just like, I mean, I think anybody who comes to wine and wants to share their passion for it and their, their knowledge and, and their taste is, is great. Like, I, I don't feel that wine needs to be something that's purely intellectual. That said, though, um, I need to give you credit where credit is due because you have a, you're an Italian wine ambassador, certified sommelier, WSET level three, which is, that's, that's hard work. You know, you're part of the Advanced North American Sommelier Association, World Sommelier Association. So, I mean, you know, you've, you know, you've done your work. You, you've got your credit. So if someone like you can experience this kind of, um, well, I know prejudice, I mean, sexism, I guess, you know. Yeah. Then, you know, I wonder, how, how did you choose to to get all those qualifications, and how how much work was it? Yeah, uh, at the beginning, uh, when I moved to the U.S., it was uh, eight years ago, and I decided that I wanted to pursue a career in wine. The first thing I I, I thought about was to educate myself, of course. So I started studying for all the uh, certification and diploma I could. And I, I just took one year of my life and said, okay, this year I have to get the many certification as I can and to score high. So to, to have an excellent, you know, uh, final score in each of them because I want to be prepared. I want to talk about wine. So I want to know as much as I can about wine. So it took a lot of work. It took a one year, uh, like studying and, and working in a foreign country with no family with me. And, but I, I had a dream. So I wanted to invest in my dream and I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to be, you know, excellent in, in knowing and, and communicating wines. So yeah, it, it meant a lot to me, uh, like, um, doing this sacrifice, but, uh, I, I don't regret it, of course. But when you are then in the system and you start working with a lot of men that maybe they have less certification than you, they have less education than you, but they are considered more experts than you for some reasons, it's frustrating. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, that's the, the first point. Sometimes it happens uh, to me that I am in a panel with a lot of, you know, male colleagues because I do uh, I serve as a wine judge in many competitions here in the US 
And it happens many times that I'm the only woman in the panel. And you can really feel the tension there when we have to decide uh, and to debate on a wine. And men tend to, you know, take into consideration their opinion better than uh, the my opinion, the woman opinion in the panel. So I'm always the, the last one who is asked, uh, what do you think about it? And it's just a little thing, but uh, you, as a woman, the only woman in the room, you notice it. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they don't do that because they want to offend you. It's something like automatic. That's the point. I mean, I don't think that men do that because they, they are jerks or they want to offend you. It's totally not the case. They don't even realize. It's a, like an automatic um, behavior that they have because we all grew, grew up in this culture thinking that women don't have to, you know, show much their opinion. They don't have to, they, they have to take less space as possible in the room. They have to, you know, wait for their turn if there are men, first men talk, and then you can be asked what you think about. So I know it sounds archaic and medieval, but in the wine business, this is still happening. I I totally know what you mean, Laura. I I really do. And you know, in your article, um, a couple of things made me chuckle. But the but one of them that really stood out was when you said when you noted that you're always asked to judge the sweet wines because women love yeah. sweet wines. <laughs> yeah, or maybe they, they just say, "Oh, Laura, you for sure like this one because it has this big residual of sugar." So why? I, I, I drink bone dry wines and I do drink sister's wine, but in their mind, if something is sweeter, it's for women. So, I mean, how how bad is that? I mean, I, I know that they're not doing that to offend anybody. I, I want to stress this point because I don't have any anything against my male colleagues and I, I think most of them, they are lovely and I, I mean, I'm happy of my work, of course. But these little things, are in their mind, in the back of their mind, without nobody even realizing that they are sexist. They are kind of discriminating because, you know, you're associating, like, my my taste with my gender. Think about if you associate the taste of a colleague because of of his race, you you, you will be pointed out as racist. But if you do that with a woman for the gender, nobody says nothing because it's yeah, very good point. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant point. You you know though, as a, as just as a point of um of ca- not countering that, but but coming uh, playing devil's advocate as they say. You know, one of the things Laura, I've I've noticed in myself over the years because I sort of did the opposite of you, but the same thing in the sense that I moved to France ten years ago. Well, over ten years ago now, and coming from California. It's kind of a, it's even a mystery to me why I waited until I moved to France to really jump all in to, to wine. But when I moved here, that was really when I started learning and going to tastings and writing, just writing as much as I could about wine and learning as much as I could about it. Because for me, it was a way to actually discover the culture more deeply. Um, I've always said, you know, yeah, wine, wine is about people. It's really about people. But along the way, I did notice 
that I had when I was in these big tastings with usually with men, as you you know, as you well noted, I I have noticed that I do have a different taste than most men, and sometimes I I mean I've never I've never gotten a definitive answer as to why, but sometimes I wonder is it because they smoke and I don't smoke. Is it because they like higher alcohol content wines, like 14 degrees, 14 and a half degrees, and I don't? You know, I've, I've, also, I've often wondered, because I have noticed that as a woman, I do have a different taste profile. It was one of the reasons why I started my, my blog, Cherie Devin, which is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek, like Cherie, like, you know, ma Cherie, and then Duvin, you know, like of wine, but it's kind of like playing on the aristocratic, like Dupont, but Duvin. So I, I started that tongue in cheek, but also knowing that I do think that sometimes maybe, maybe we women do have a little bit of a different taste pro- profile. Yeah. But you know, I don't. What, what do you think? We do have maybe a different taste, but in that case, in the case you you just told us about your experience. It could be also because you are from uh, the U.S. and you were French. So I know I notice all the time that me, uh, I grew up as an Italian with drinking some kind of wine. So, of course, now I like some kind of wine. But my male colleague here in the U.S., they grew up drinking totally different wine or not drinking wine at all because maybe they just started three years ago because here it's not so common that you have a, you know, culture, going back into your uh, childhood, like growing up with your father drinking wine and being in the wine culture. So maybe it's about the culture. Uh, maybe could be also about the gender. I'm not saying that we women are equal, are uh, the same as men. So there are many genetic differences between men and women. For, for instance, I noticed that we women in certain time of the month, we have a very high sense of smell that men mm. don't do. So we have hormonal imbalances that they don't have. So we are different and we approach wine in a different way. Um, I'm not saying we are not. But um, what I'm saying is that when you are working professionally, these differences can't be discriminating. So if I'm mm-hmm. judging a panel of wine, uh, uh, wines in a panel with uh, male colleagues, I have the right to be asked opinion about all the wines, not only about the third wines, because you assume that since I'm a woman, I'm expert only in sweet wine. That's <laughs> yeah. why I, I, I want to point out, not that, of course, maybe it's true that I like the third wines. In this case, it's not, but maybe it could also be true. But since I'm there professionally, you can't assume that I don't know anything about any other kind of wine only because I'm a woman. That's yeah. what's bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so, it's so true. And I remember, I remember one time, one of the more memorable tastings I was at um, a few years ago was it was in Burgundy, and it was the end of like a four, four days of tasting, and they had kept the Corton Charlemagne for the end. You know, which is like mm-hmm. that's like yeah. you know the, the yeah the creme de la creme of, Bur- of Burgundy. Yeah, and I remember though they had all of us um, tasters, you know, a lot of press and, and a lot of wine people. They they served us coffee, like they they served everybody coffee, and then oh my God. they ushered everybody. Yeah, and then they ushered everybody in to taste these beautiful Corton Charlemagne. And oh I remember God. afterwards, 
I know. And I remember afterwards, I got like a little survey thing, like, what do you think we could have done differently? And my, you know, I said, I said, well, it was beautiful. It's four days of just magnificent, you know, tastings. I'll never, it's like one of the pinnacles of my life. But maybe you shouldn't serve coffee before you have before. a taste. <laughs> yeah. you, you know? So it's kind of, so things like that too can, 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 um, really differentiate a person's taste because those of us who drink the coffee, I didn't actually drink the coffee, but the, those of us, those of us who did drink the coffee, we're going to have a completely different taste experience. Different, yeah, okay. sensation of the wine, totally. So, and what did they yeah. say? You know, I never, <laughs> I never heard back. I think it was like one of the, I, I think it was maybe one of those anonymous like post event surveys or something, but anyway, okay. I, I, I never heard back. <laughs> yeah, I find it absurd. I find it absurd. Yeah, you, you can really ruin the taste of a wine with coffee. Coffee and, and mint. Sometimes they serve like a um, sweet with a mint or cinnamon, so very strong spices. And then you have to taste the wine and, and your palate is completely spoiled. And they don't even realize sometimes. Yeah, it happens to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, listen. Um, let's talk a little bit about. I really appreciate your insights and 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 you sharing your your experiences. That, you know, especially with you being so having so many credentials. That I think that'll give a lot of women a lot of courage. Let Let's um Let's shift for a second and talk about what's the culture like there in California these days for Italian wines. Do you get a lot of Italian wines there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in generally speaking, the U.S. imports a lot of Italian wines. The most imported wine in the U.S. is Prosecco. Like in general, not Italian. Like all, of all the imported wines, the first one is Italian and it's Prosecco. And California wow. is no exception. They import a lot of Italian wines. In this, at this time, um, COVID is, has been a problem from everybody, for everybody, yeah. but not quite for Italian wines, they just kept the volume uh, and the value of uh, importation the same as the, the as last year, so uh, they are pretty happy about these numbers, and that also could be for the wine tariff. I don't know if you uh, read articles about it, but lately, uh, at the very end of 2019, the U.S. administration imposed, imposed a 25% of uh, importing tariffs on French wines, German wines, Spanish wines for the, you know, uh, fight yeah. they are having with Europe, uh, with the Airbus and the digital uh, taxation and so on. That I think is very unfair because, I mean, <laughs> why the wine business has to pay for these uh, political fights anyway. But uh, since these other European wines are um, high, uh, has higher taxes, and higher taxation, uh, Italian wine benefits a little bit of this advantage because Italian wines were not taxed, are not taxed. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good time for Italian wines in the, in the U.S. now. And as I say, it's, uh, it varies a lot depending on where uh, you are looking at in the U.S., if the East Coast or California or some other states, uh, the most uh, appreciated wines change because of the climate, because of the, the food, the culture. And here in California, um, they are really picking up with uh, Italian uh, white, which oh. is a new, uh, besides Pinot Grigio, which is overall considered very popular 
and also Prosecco, as I already mentioned, they are picking up with um, some other Italian uh, indigenous varieties, uh, um, white wines like Soave, Lugana, or Versicchio, uh, Vermentino, because, you know, California, mild climate, uh, shoreline, so vacation uh, cities. I'm talking about SoCal. I live in San Diego, so in this area, uh, Italian white goes well. Uh, in other areas, for instance, Amarone and Brunello di Montalcino and Chianti, so the big red, are still on top of the market. Uh, so oh, it varies a lot, but it's a, it's a good time for, for Italian brands in, uh, in the U.S., I can't complain. Good. Well, that's, that's really good to hear. And, yeah, no, I mean, that, yeah, you're so right. That, that's the subject for a whole nother, um, podcast. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of discussion here in France of, about the tariffs. So, um, I, I bet. yeah, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I know it's, that's a, that's a really big conversation. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host, Paige Donner. Now you can find Paris Good Food and Wine on iHeartRadio as well as on Spotify and also as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Season 7 of Local Good Food and Wine is generously being brought to you by IOT Shipping. IOT, the Internet of Things. IOT Shipping tracks your value assets using the Internet of Things technology that gives you data points based on temperature, movement, and geolocation. For more information, contact us at iotshipping.xyz. That's iotshipping.xyz. So, so prosecco is really um, is really popular in the U.S. And um, so, what's the what's the what's the wine scene like in San Diego? San Diego's got you know. I actually went to I did my university at UCSD. Wow. I, yeah, I, I mean, we're talking 20, more than 20 years ago, almost 30 years. Yeah, we're talking like 30 years ago. Um, and I, I ended, I ended up transferring, um, over to University of Hawaii. Um, but I was, I went there for several years. So I know San Diego and I know that Temecula is a really lovely little wine region. Do you ever get over to Temecula? Yeah, yeah. Temecula is the closest, let's say, wine region to San Diego if we don't count the Valle de Guadalupe Mexico, which is just across the border. Uh, you know, San Diego is very, yeah, it's like on the border with Mexico. So the Valle de Guadalupe wines, Baja California wines are really having a moment, a momentum now oh. in the U.S. But anyway, oh. staying local, just staying uh, domestic, Semicola is the closest wine region. And it went through a, a rough time uh, after the 80s because the peers, uh, the glass, uh, wing, uh, mosquito destroyed like almost all the vineyards in Temecula in the 80s. Oh. So oh. they had a sort of a phylloxera, their own phylloxera with this, uh, mosquito, which is called, uh, glasswing, I believe. Anyway, so it's a, a parasite which destroyed all the vineyards. So they had to rebuild, uh, the vineyards and the reputation starting from the 80s. So they are now, uh, getting back on track because it took Really, it took very long time, 20 years or so, to get back uh, uh, on the previous, you know, numbers. But they they almost sell locally. And what I think about Temecula is that they don't have uh, a style yet. 
So it's different. It's, mm, I mean, all the wineries are experimenting with different varieties. So you can find a lot of, you know, also Italian varieties, uh, international varieties, Chardonnay, Cabernet, uh, Viognier, uh, Chenin Blanc. Uh, and so uh, every winery uh, has its own, you know, style and experiment. So as a wine region, they don't have something they represent them as a, you know, unique terroir or unique style or maybe focusing all on the same varieties. That's the problem with Temecula to me now. But they, they sell most of the wine locally or in wine clubs. So even in San Diego, it's hard to find some Temecula wines on the wine list. That is absurd if you think about it anyway. But, uh, talking about San Diego wine scene, it has changed a lot in the last, let's say, three, four years. It's, um, San Diego is a beer-wise uh, wire city. I mean, there are uh, more than a hundred uh, artisanal breweries in San Diego. So beer is really uh, strong here. And the wine struggles a little bit to, you know, to gain the scene. Uh, so you have some very nice um, restaurants with a stunning wine list, uh, but there are a few. You can count them on the fingers of your hand. So uh, for a big city as San Diego, because it's uh, a million and a half population, so it's a big city, uh, there are not so many wine bars or restaurants with a nice wine list. Uh, it's, it's still up and coming, let's say, but something has changed in the last years, and I hope in the future... The, the taste will improve again and people will start asking like different wines, uh, not the mainstream regular, you know, Chardonnay and Cabernet, which dominate the wine list uh, pretty, pretty in every restaurant here. So that's mm-hmm. my take on San Diego now. So it's a lot of work still to do. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, you have your work cut out for you. <laughs> You're going to have a lot of, uh, yeah. you need to throw a lot of um, wine parties, I guess, or, or, or yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, um, t- tell me, I, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up after this because I know I, I promised I wouldn't keep you too long. But tell us a little bit um, about this, the Baja wines are having a moment. That's, that, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, the valley, particularly the Valle de Guadalupe, which is really, really one hour driving south from San Diego. Um, they are marketing themselves really good in the, in the U.S., in California in particular. Also, a lot of restaurants in LA now feature uh, Mexican wines as a category, which is something new because it, it, it wasn't happening till two or three years ago. And uh, what they are really doing great in Baja California and in um, in uh, Valle de Guadalupe is the uh, tourism related to wine and food. So they have these beautiful wineries, like uh, designed by famous architecture, uh, uh, yes, architectures, and they have uh, these uh, beautiful resort with the restaurants, with very creative chefs coming from all over the world, and they experiment with food and wine pairing. So uh, people from the U.S., especially from the South uh, California, they travel to uh, just across the border to have a, a beautiful weekend and they experience good food, good wine and so they want to bring the, the wines home. So that's how they started building the market in the US with the, through the tourism. I think it's a nice, a nice history case because, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's 
they, they did it successfully and I went there a couple of times and the, the places are really unique and, and the chefs are really good. The food is, is really good sometimes like better than in San Diego. Uh, sometimes I go there just for lunch and come back. I do that. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's interesting. And yeah, they don't, uh, again, they don't have a proper style. Uh, they are, like the Mikulek experimenting with the, the grapes because they are struggling with draw and heat because we have mm. to think we are one hour south from San Diego. We are on the latitude of Tel Aviv to, to relate to Europe and, uh, and the other side of the world. So uh, they are struggling with that. But in the Valle de Guadalupe, there are some uh, particular microclimate w- with some elevation so they can really retain some acidity, but just a few wineries. Most of them, they are producing, in my opinion, overripe wines and not so, let's say, mm, mm, age-worthy wine. Uh, they are focusing on uh, uh, the international variety and some of them are experimenting with Italian varieties. I already tasted, I tasted some Nebbiolo from, uh, no. uh, from the, uh, from the Valle de Guadalupe and yeah, it's not the place where you can grow Nebbiolo. <laughs> but anyway, they are trying, they are trying to find a, an idea. Uh, but the wine tourism is pretty huge and they're doing a great job in that. That's what I can say about Wow, that's fascinating. I, that was completely off my radar. I remember, I remember coming across some Baja wines. I think I even wrote a, a small blog about it years ago, like eight or nine years ago. And then I, I just haven't paid attention. So, um, so that's great. That's really great to hear that update, yeah. Laura. It sounds I, like I also, yeah. I have a, a video on my YouTube channel uh, of a wine trip I did there. So if somebody oh. interested in seeing uh, like the, the places, the resort, and and the, some wines I tasted there with my personal notes, uh, it's on YouTube. One of the first wine blog I, I recorded here. So uh, yeah, but it's it's fun. Great, great. Yeah, we'll we'll look for that, and I'll note that in the show notes. Is it? Um, we can find you. Is your your YouTube channel is the Italian Wine Girl, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The same name. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Laura, this has been so great. And, you know, it's funny that we're speaking, like, you're Italian and you're in San Diego and I'm American and I'm in, in Paris. It's kind of funny. Yeah. 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 Where part of California were you originally from? Um, actually, San Santa Barbara, but then I lived in LA ah. for almost 15 years, yeah, before I moved. Okay. So, okay, yeah. okay, so I see. I see. LA is, is amazing. In the last two or three years, like the restaurant scene is like so improved. I love it there. There are lots of uh, like option and international chef, very high, high level, high end restaurants. Yeah. Uh, I like LA is really a place to be for culinary scene now in a, in a California more than San Francisco. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. San Francisco has always been the benchmark for many years of, for the culinary scene in, a, in California, but now LA is really, yeah, picking up. Um, yeah, so. I would love to move there anytime soon. Well, this year you're probably way better off being in San Diego. If I were you, I'd be celebrating that I'm in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, no, but, I yeah, love that... San Diego. Yeah, but from a culinary point of view, yeah, LA is more like uh, stimulating and, you know, me fascinating to me that, for my job. That's it. But for the quality of life, San Diego is 
amazing. I mean, it's usually yeah. Oh, you got that right. US. I mean, it, yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. The, it is. It's ranked the best in the in the US. Yeah. Well, listen, Laura, it's been so great chatting with you. I look forward to, to talking with you again. And, um, and you know, once again, uh, bravo to you. You know, chapeau to you for writing that piece. It took a lot of courage, and I'm yeah. sure that a lot of other women will find strength from what you, you know, from what you shared. I, I hope yeah. so. That, that's my only goal. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, you have a really great day, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. You have a great night in Paris. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Paris, Good Food and Wine. I want to say a big thank you, a calm merci beaucoup to everyone who helped make this podcast possible. And that includes you too, our listeners. We greatly appreciate that you listen to us. We really do. So leave your comments, suggestions, and reviews on our website at parisfoodandwine.net. You can find our show notes at Local Food and Wine. That's localfood.wine. Also localfoodandwine.wordpress.com. On Twitter, you can find us at Local Food Wine and at Paris Food Wine. So from your host and producer, me, Paige Donner, I want to wish you a bonne dégustation and à toutes et à tous à votre santé from Paris, good food and wine.